Welcome to the Glenn Merzer Show. Please remember to subscribe. We're trying to get 2 million subscribers because if we get 2 million subscribers, that will be good for the vegans. And anything good for the vegans is bad for animal agriculture. And anything bad for animal agriculture is good for the planet. Our special guest today is my old friend, Brian Herskowitz. Brian is a, an author, is the author of the novel Conceptus. Do you happen to have a copy of Conceptus around? Why? Funny you should ask. Uh, yes, yes, I you do. do. There it is. There it's it is. Right. The novel Conceptus, uh, a thriller. It is a mystery. Yeah, thrill. Mm-hmm. And he is the author of a book on screenwriting called Process to Product. You have a copy of that? You know, Glenn, I actually have one handy. I, I, look there at you go. What are the odds of that there happening? You go. Huh? And, uh, and Brian, I am actually interested in optioning process to product to make a movie of it. You would be the uh, first. A, a, a movie about how to write a screenplay. There aren't any of those. Not, not that I can think of. Although, wait, wasn't there Barton Fink? Wasn't that about that? that well, wasn't he a playwright in that movie? I don't remember. No, <laughs> I don't remember either. Okay. But it was a good movie. It's, it's time for that. a second one. I think we. I think there's room for another. Sure. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk after. And Ryan is also a champion in the fields of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which isn't easy to say, and uh, judo. He's a competitor in that. So let's start by talking about that. Sure. When did you get interested in the martial arts, Brian? I started judo when I was six years old, and that would be 1964. Wow. Uh, so I've been doing it for a while. This is my fifth Were you grade. being bullied at school? No. First I, grade? No. Did you? And no, and after that, never again. Uh, no. my, my brother was uh, diagnosed with dyslexia. My older uh-huh. brother, we're 18 months apart. And uh, the eye doctor had suggested that he do something for eye-hand coordination. And he was saying, you know, take karate or, or boxing or judo. And we did We'd never heard of judo before. Didn't know what that was. And there was a tournament that weekend. So we went to watch the tournament. My brother and I thought that looked like just the most fun. And we went home, put some pillows on the ground and just, you know, beat the crap out of each other for a couple hours. And that was kind of it. From that point on, we we joined a local dojo um, and started training. And we we didn't look back. Uh, We were both in the Olympic trials in 1980. um, Oh, so you were both equally good. He was actually a little better than I was. He's got really, he, uh, yeah, he got a little more beat up than I did eventually. But yeah, he, he's an excellent competitor. And uh, he, uh, but we both made it to the draws. That was the year 1980. That was the year that Jimmy Carter was president. Right. And the Russians had invaded Afghanistan and we didn't go. So nobody, we didn't make the team, but had we made the team, we wouldn't have gotten to go anyway. So that's, oh, that's right. that was my yeah. sad tale of the Olympics. Yeah. So in a way, it was a break that you didn't make the team or you would have been very disappointed. I, I was disappointed anyway, but yeah. And I was disappointed for those that did make the team. There were, you know, yeah. you train your entire life for an athletic event like the Olympics and that, you know, you don't often get a second or third chance. Uh, there's, right. you know, there are some competitors that can, but generally, you know, you got to, you got to get on with life and do other things and become a professional and you know, that kind of falls by the wayside. So, Well, you have done that. You've gotten on with life. You've become I a haven't. screenwriter and a director and a producer. 
and a novelist um, and an author of an of a nonfiction book on screenwriting. Mm-hmm. But here's the strange thing, and I don't know if you're aware of this. You What's have that? continued with the martial arts. I I was aware of that. Yeah, I have. You continued. were aware of that. Okay, I was. I, I you, haven't. You competed. still compete. Yes, I haven't competed for six days. Uh, no, I fought. I fought in a tournament uh, a week ago. The the what is basically the California State Championships. Uh-huh. Um, they have weight and age divisions now for the older guys like me. But I also still right. fight with kids. So I'll go and I'll compete so, against. Are- so here you are in your sixties, mm-hmm. fighting with people. How old? Uh, everything from about seventeen to. 35, 40. Now, when you get in the ring, I guess they call mm-hmm. it a ring. On the mat. It's on a, when it's you on get the mat. Yeah. on the mat with a 17-year-old. Yeah. Who presumably is about your size. Yeah. I'm usually okay. my size. You get, you, you get in the ring with a 17-year-old who's about your size. Uh-huh. And he he's probably going to notice that you look older than he does. Yeah, it's the walker that gives him away. It's the walker. Now, yeah. are, are you allowed to hit him with the walker? I wish I wish that were true. No, yeah. it, it's uh, yeah. They, they usually so, have a. So you you get it. I I'm trying to get into the mind of that 17 year old thinking. Oh, I guarantee you, I'm going to beat they, up Grandpa here. Exactly. I, I had I had one guy I was working out with who uh, this was just in workout. Turned and said, "Well, this is just elder abuse." Yeah. Uh, and then I I threw him shortly thereafter. But but at that point, he was you know, he thought he was being serious. He thought he. Thought so he what was- happens psychologically when you're fighting someone forty years younger than you and for them or for me? It, what's that? For them or for me? Well, both. Both. I have no idea what goes to their head. Um, you know, for me, it. I I. I don't have the same, uh, you know, abilities that I had when I was 20. I don't, uh-huh. but I'm still able to move and, and compete with the kids to a certain degree. Um, this same tournament last year, I fought, uh, two kids. Uh, one was probably 20. The other may have been 26 or 27, um, beat them both. And then I lost two matches. So I, I took third, uh, and mm-hmm. what was the California state championships. These are also black belts. These are people that, you know, know the sport. And, you know, that for me, it's it's a part, part and parcel of challenging two things. One, challenging the idea that age is a deterrent to being in good condition and in mm-hmm. being alert and able to move. Um, I saw recently, I think the AARP did a video where they asked a bunch of uh, millennials, and maybe, maybe not even millennials, maybe younger, you know, what do you consider old? And they said, well, you know, 48, 52, 70. And they had all these different answers. And then they had people, those ages come out that were remarkable in whatever field, like a dancer or a gymnast or mm-hmm. a weightlifter or, or, you know, and they would come mm-hmm. out and they'd say, okay, just, just do what I do. And these kids were just, you know, wiped out. And it totally mm-hmm. changed their perspective about what is aging. Right. And, you know, I like that. I like the idea that, that, uh, I can, I can go on to a mat and people go, oh my gosh, they're, you know, what is that old dude doing out there? And then perform and people, you know, look and go, okay, all right. He's, he's legit. He's out there for a reason. Um, but for me personally, it's about challenging myself. The, 
one of the things that I discovered is as I've gotten older <clears throat> and the weight divisions stay the same, but then of course they put you into different age categories as you, as you get older. Um, there's very, 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 very few people left in my age group. So I'm often, uh, you know, going to competitions and there's nobody to compete with. So I started uh -huh. looking at it and going, you know what, I'll just compete with the kids. I'll get, at least I'll get a workout. I'll, you know, I'll be able to move. I'll be able to, you know, stay in shape. And it motivates me because- And there are no rules against that? As far as I know, I mean, they may, you know, if I keep they, doing this, they may institute some, but right now they keep letting me do they, it. There isn't somebody in charge of like the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu League who says, this isn't fair. This guy has uh, so much wisdom. <laughs> you should be able to use yeah. all that wisdom against this poor young kid. Yeah. As I say, it's it's uh, old age and treachery. Yeah, that's yeah. that's my opinion. But yeah, no, they, right. they allow that. They allow it. For now, we'll yeah. see. We'll see if it keeps that way. Now, Brian, you may be aware of this. Your wife is the actress Gina Hecht. I, I had heard that. Yes. Yes. How does Gina feel about your still competing in martial arts and fighting twenty-year-olds? You know, that's a good question, and uh, the answer is. A rather unpleasant one, in my opinion. She'd rather I didn't do it. I think she's concerned that I'm going to get, you know, seriously injured or or break something. And and honestly, that's a possibility. When I it was a possibility when I was, you know, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. It's a possibility now. I'm more careful than I used to be. Uh, you know, I I had a do or die attitude. Now I just have a do or maybe not so do, not maybe not do those those. That's my attitude now. But it's you know. She has legitimate concerns, but I also, like I said, this is one of the things that motivates me to stay in shape, uh, to eat healthy, which I think will bring us full circle to, to veganism and to let us, let us hit that subject. You sure. are a vegan and, uh, a fairly newbie. Uh, when did yeah. you go vegan? Uh, it was during the pandemic, probably, well, was it was during or just before the pandemic? So like about the last three and a half, four years. And what happened is I, um, I had a regular checkup with my cardiologist and he listened to my heart and said, oh, everything's great. I did a stress test. Everything was perfect. You're fantastic. There's just this 30% blockage. And I was, I'm sorry, could, could you go back just a second? You just said something that I, I didn't quite, I didn't quite hear. Say it again. He said, yeah, you, you know, you've got a 30% blockage, but everything's working fine. And I said, well, I shouldn't be concerned about that 30% blockage. And he said, nah, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, you're, are you eating well? I said, yeah, you know, I eat pretty well. He said, are you exercise? I said, yeah, I exercise a lot. And he said, okay, yeah, no, don't worry about it. But I kept kind of pushing and saying, well, this concerns me that you're telling me this. And he said, well, let's do a calcium test. Ah, I'm sorry. No, Go no, ahead. No. Uh, let's do a calcium test. So they did a calcium scan. And at that time, I knew nothing about what, you know, calcium numbers mean. But basically, it's, you know, you want a calcium score of zero. That's where you should be. Right. And zero to 100 is, you know, mild heart disease. One to 200 is uh, moderate heart disease. Uh, two to three is serious heart disease. Uh, zero, three to four is, uh, oh my God, you should probably, you know, be lying down. And my ca calcium score was over 400. It was 426. Oh. 
And I went back to him and, you know, again, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. But statistically, at 400 and above, you have a 95% chance of a serious heart event in the next five years. And that didn't sound very pleasant to me. And I started looking into, is there anything that I can do um, to at, at least help with this issue that I had? And I, I was already not a big meat eater. Um, I didn't eat uh, any red meat. I don't eat, you know, but I did. I was somebody who ate chicken and I did eat fish. And I ran across a documentary uh, called, I think it's called Game Changers. Right. And it was a documentary uh, by a, a mixed martial artist who had had uh, a sw somewhat traumatic knee injury and had had to have surgery and was doing research on things he could do nutritionally to speed his healing. And he started looking at um, different things that he could do. And he found an article that was talking about the gladiators and how the gladiators were primarily plant-based uh, eaters. And that intrigued him, the idea that, you know, these who were considered at the time the fiercest, you know, most honored warriors in the world were plant eaters. So he started doing research. And one of the things that made a lot of sense to me, uh, plaque is caused by inflammation. And inflammation is something that can be helped by diet. And one of the great ways that you can limit inflammation is by limiting or or getting rid of meat-based proteins. And he started doing research on that, started talking to other vegans, people that were, you know, strong men, uh, competitors. Uh, there was a, a woman cyclist who was still on the cycling team well into her 40s and, and competing at the Olympic level. Um, there were, you know, ultra marathoners. There were all these different people. And I went, well, if there's a shot that this would help me either uh, – you know, stop or even reduce the calcium in my, in my arteries, I'm going to, I'm going to take a shot at that. And, and, you know, I have a daughter who is a, uh, uh, has been an ethical vegan for many years and became a vegetarian when she was two and a half. And, you know, she was all about this as well. She was very pleased that, that I'd made this choice. But she is also a scientist and studying animal, uh, does animal ethics, law, and uh, behavior in uh, at the uh, it's the University of Edinburgh's School of Veterinary Medicine, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And you know, she looks at the ethical concerns of how animals are treated, uh, particularly as you know, in agriculture and, and in farming. And she's right now doing her dissertation on you know how can we uh, how can we treat animals that are in captivity at zoos better? How do we make them more, uh, feel more at home, I guess, is, is what she's trying to do. But, you know, she is another one that, that was talking about the, you know, the problems with, with what is happening with animal and farming and agriculture and how that is one of the major impacts on the planet. And, you know, probably the one thing that we could all do to make the largest single uh, difference would be to be vegan. Um, it, it would, you know, make a huge impact on the environment, uh, also the quality of life of animals. You know, it's 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 one thing to say you love an animal um, and then go to McDonald's 
you know, I yeah. need burger. It's a, it's, we all, we've all done it, you know, I've done it. Uh, but, but as I've, you know, started on this journey, I started to realize not only is it better for my health and better for the planet, but there's, you know, if you care about animals, the treatment of animals in agriculture and, 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 you know, agricultural farming is, is really, it's, it's not a good life, you know? It is not. Now, I want to get back to your daughter and the ethical issues. But first, let me ask you, hmm. since you went vegan, have your cholesterol numbers gone down? Have you gone back for a calcium test again? What's I have happened? not gone back for calcium testing. Um, my cholesterol went ridiculously low. Uh, it went from, uh, I, even with, I, you know, I've been on, on uh, uh, what are they called? Statins? Uh, I'm sorry? Statins. Statins? Yes. Been on a statin for years, um, and when they found the calcium, they upped the dose. But I, I still think my my calcium, I mean my uh, uh, cholesterol went from about one seventy eight to one hundred and twelve. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's it's up now a little bit more. It's probably in the one hundred and twenty range, one hundred and twenty five range, but still mm -hmm. significantly lower lower than it would be if I hadn't been vegan. I believe. Right. And it's also changed the LDL HDL levels and made the ratios better. Very uh, good. Just a, another, you know, very important measure. And I don't know if it's done anything to my, to my calcium score. Although I do know that the last time I went to my cardiologist, he listened and he said, okay, so, you know, you've got about a 20% blockage. And I went, well, that's interesting. It was 30% before. So it's, you know, I don't know how he's measuring it. Uh, you know, I don't know how uh -huh. they do that. And I don't know how accurate it was, but I went, well, that's down. I mean, you know, and that's a good thing. Well, what did he say? When going from 30 to 20 is a 33%. You know, he didn't say reduction. anything. What did he say? Yeah, not a thing. He didn't say anything. Not a just, thing. No, just it was did just. Did he show any curiosity about what you're doing with your diet? You know, not so much. I, I, you know, I told him I, I had gone vegan and he was like, okay, that's good. That's good. But he didn't really have a strong, you know, opinion of it one way or the other. You know, there's a I remarkable think, lack of curiosity in that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually. Um, so let's talk things. about your daughter. Yeah. She becomes an ethical vegetarian at the age of two, two and a half. Yeah. How yeah. did that happen? Well, she was a huge animal lover at that time. And okay. we had been giving her, uh, uh, you know, again, fairly healthy food. She, she, I don't think she tasted sugar until she was like four. And when she did, it was like, what is this strange magic? How do I, how do I get more <laughs> of that? But at the time, uh, you know, we would give her turkey dogs which was one of the things that she would eat and she, you know, or a chicken dog or something like that. And she was eating one and she said, mm, this is good. What is it made out of? I said, well, made out of chicken. She said, the animal chicken? I said, yeah, that was it. Never touched uh -huh. another bite. And she has to this day never eaten meat. Wow. And to, to the degree where, you know, I, I do eat some of the plant substitutes that, you know, taste like, look like meat. Uh, you know, I, I'll have, I'll have chicken strips and, you know, the beyond burgers. She won't doesn't have any interest, doesn't want that, doesn't care for the, that flavor, doesn't want the feeling right. of that flavor, that texture. And I respect that. I did. You know, she's, what, what's she's fascinating is that at the age of two and a half, she yeah. makes this connection and decides that she doesn't want to eat animals. And yeah. now as an adult, 
in Edinburgh, it's yeah. still in a way her career. Yeah, I mean, she's primarily she's a writer, uh, actually, and uh, she's here here in, in Los Angeles working as a writer, and then doing that on on uh, on her spare time, uh, and also she volunteers at the Aquarium of the Pacific, where she works with animals there. So she's uh -huh. uh, she's a little bit of all over the place, but those are those are her two big loves, uh, you know, the entertainment industry and then being uh, being good to animals. Uh huh. And since you've gone vegan, mm -hmm. how has your life changed? Uh, well, you know what? I friendships, mean, family, has it changed anything? Not, not too much. You know, for a while there, there were those people that, you know, would kind of scoff, you know, when I'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm vegan. I'm not going to eat that. Uh, and, you know, oh, come on, have a bite. You know, it's not going to kill you, you know, that kind of thing. But overall, people have been pretty respectful. My brother who I mentioned is also an athlete and um, the, 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 the martial artist brother. Yes. He, he had to retire from the sport. He has uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh -huh. And one of the things that I was telling him was about game changers and the idea that it limits or lowers your, your uh, inflammation in your blood. And he was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I could, you know, be vegan. Anyway, he watched the, the movie halfway through it. He was standing up and saying, I can do this. I can do this. So he, he became vegan and he was very, very strict about it. Um, so it's changed people around me a little bit and it's, but honestly, you know, the one thing that I was concerned about is, you know, I had always had this vision of being a, a vegetarian or a vegan as, you know, it's going to be really hard to find good food and I'm not going to enjoy the process. And, and when I go out to eat, but that's changed significantly and more and more, uh, restaurants are, are catering to people that are vegetarian and vegans. Um, there are more substitutes that, you know, sort of approximate the taste and feel. And mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I don't miss the meat at all. What, if anything, I, I would say physically, I feel better. Um, right. I, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail, but my, my in, intestines are working really well. Everything is great mm -hmm. there. Um, it's just, and I feel, and I, you know, this is something that's really hard for me to quantify, but I feel like I have better endurance than I did mm -hmm. uh, when I was eating chicken and fish. Um, yeah. And I'm not, you know, I, it, it's not something that is, you know, religious with me. It's not something that I'm, you know, fervent about. It's just something that I feel confident is better for my body. And the byproduct of that is that it's better for the world. And I don't, I don't mind that at all. I don't mind that as a byproduct. Now, when I used to live in LA, mm -hmm. maybe once a year, you and I would go out for lunch. Right. And I was the vegan and I would order the only thing on the menu often that I could order. Right. Um, and my question is, do you remember thinking, geez, this guy is strange. Uh, how does he go through life like that? Do you remember having any feelings then about what it's like to be with a vegan and now you're in that position? You know, just that I, 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 I if anything, I remember thinking, you know, that, that's tough. That's hard. You know, it's got to be difficult because, you know, how do you, you know, how do you stay away from all of the different, you know, things and, you know, what has, when you're vegan and it's what has butter in it and what has eggs in right. it and, you know, how do right. you, how do you avoid those things? And again, for me, you know, if it was just about, uh, you know, the animals and taking care of the planet, I, I might still have dairy 
But the fact is that dairy farming is also a huge problem and a huge impact on the environment. And for me, right. it's, it's about the animal protein that's in eggs, that's in butter, you know, that's so right. it doesn't, it, it doesn't help just to be a vegetarian in that regard. So I, I you know, I got to say, Glenn, it has become easier since you were out here. You know, it is something right. where I can, I can pick up a, a, a rock and I can hit about seven purely vegan restaurants within a 10 block radius of my home. Well, then they're going to think you're an enemy of the vegan restaurants. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I won't do that. I won't do that. Okay. But they have, I mean, everything from, you know, vegan Thai restaurants to vegan uh, burger places to a home cooking place called Doomies that has, you know, fake fried chicken and, uh, okay. you know, mac and cheese and uh, delicious. I mean, really delicious. Uh -huh. I, I would eat it if I wasn't vegan. Um, the same with some of the Thai food. I mean, there's really terrific options out there now and that just weren't around. Even, even Kevin Hart uh, opened a new vegan restaurant. And it's, you know, I think it's more than a trend. I think people are waking up to the fact that we're, you know, it's uh, 1159 and, and 30 yeah. seconds in the world. And we're, we're not going to be around much longer if we don't start paying a little bit more attention to what are we doing to our environment? What are we doing to our, our ecosystem? What are we doing to animals? And, right. you know, we're, uh, you know, I'm sure it's, it's, there's still two camps. I mean, just as there are two camps that don't, you know, the camp that doesn't believe in climate change, I'm sure there are people there that, you know, uh, don't believe that there's anything wrong with eating meat and that, you know, they're, they're, we're not damaging the earth and it's fine, but there's just overwhelming scientific evidence that we are, and that we're getting really close to the point of no return. And, you know, it's interesting, my daughter, uh, a lot of her attitudes in terms of what is good for an animal, what is good for the earth and what is good for people have changed. And one of the things that changed for her is hunting, uh, where she was, you know, such an absolute, you know, horrified that people would hunt. She, she's not a fan of hunting by any stretch of the imagination, but the impact on the environment versus I'm going to go to the store and get a pick up a burger is huge. And, you know, the amount of waste in that, in that world and the amount of byproduct waste and the amount of damage to the environment, it's just, you know, she would, you know, and, and for the animal, the torture that they go through, and I, I hate to put it that way, but it's torture is yeah. horrific. If you've ever seen, you know, videos or, or photos of it. As opposed to a deer that's in the wild that lives its life having, you know, doing a grand old time and bang, it's dead. You know, it's, it is not something that is a, a, as horrific as it sounds as it is to, you know, to, to the farming industry. So, right. Yeah. Let's talk indie film. Yeah. You're still in that world of indie film. Wait, I'm still trying. Yeah. Still, still. And how how has it changed in the last 20 years? Well, and more, more so in the last four or five because of COVID and because of what's happened there. Uh, the, big, the big thing that happened is when COVID struck and everybody was stuck at home and they were looking for entertainment, the streaming services, you know, came up as the, the white knight uh, on their stallion and saved us in, in a way. You know, we, everybody turned to Netflix. Netflix was already an 800 pound gorilla. Uh, compared right. to the studios. 
And then suddenly the studios are shut down. There's no place to get your entertainment except for the streaming services, Amazon, Netflix, Disney. Disney came on with streaming at the exact perfect time. And it, it has done uh, a lot of damage to the industry in a lot of ways. And that, you know, the theatrical release of films has changed. There has always been a kind of a, you know, upstairs, downstairs, the, the big budget films and then the independents that are trying to make, you know, the little train that could and all of that. But now it's worse. Um, there is a glimmer of hope and there is an opportunity for filmmakers who are independent filmmakers to have a theatrical release again because the theaters are opening back up and there's a little, you know, you look at the studios, <clears throat> they're more like a, you know, a cruise ship. They have a lot of ground to cover in order to make a turn as opposed to an indie, they can do it pretty quickly. There are theaters that are sitting idle that need content. And there's an opportunity for an independent filmmaker to kind of sneak in their films for now. I don't think that'll last very long. And they've got to get in quickly, but it is something. Well, that, the writers are on strike now. Yes, so the right studios now, may right. have a, may have a problem getting content if this lasts, right? Yeah, for sure. It's going to be a problem for the studios and, you know, hopefully it won't last too long. Um, you know, people are talking about, you know, they're digging in and it can be, a, it could be quite a while um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, one, one thing is that there, there are, uh, I, I've heard that some of the studios have projects that they don't, that are expensive projects they don't want to do. And they can, if the strike goes on under force majeure, they can drop those projects. So oh. they, they keep the, you know, they may keep it long enough to do that and then turn around and settle. I don't know. But, but why would they have expensive projects that they don't want to do? Why couldn't they just turn them down in the first place? Yeah, good question. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, they have a deal with that particular filmmaker. Oh. Who knows? And and I can't I can't uh, attest to the veritas of that particular statement. I don't know. Right. Um, but that's just one one theory that people had had. Uh, you know, it, I'm, I am hopeful that the, that the strike won't last too long, that everybody will get back to work. It's always damaging to, you know, to people, to individuals when there's a strike, you know, you've got people that are out of work that are going to be struggling. And in the entertainment industry, you know, at any given moment, 75% of the populace is already struggling. So you're really, you know, you're, you're, you're making those people who are hurting hurt worse. And you're making the people that are employed but still in need of a regular paycheck, they're having difficulty too. Right. There's going to be layoffs. There's going to be shutdowns. There's going to be productions that are stopped. But, you know, right now, um, you know, some of the other unions, all of the unions are in support of the Writers Guild. But even though they're in support of them, for instance, Screen Actors Guild has a no-strike clause. So if you're on a show right now, if that show has already been written, you got to go to work. And the directors mm-hmm. have to go to work and the producers have to go to work and only the writers are going to be left out. And I'm sure we're going to see like we did in the last strike, we're going to see another boost to reality programming, game shows, you know, things that are non-union or not written, non-scripted. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. but or I allegedly see, non-scripted or yes, exactly. Allegedly non-scripted. Um, I do think that it's, you know, there, part of the issue is, when the writers, you know, 10 years ago, writers would have a, a, if they were on a show, they would have 22 episodes. They would be getting a weekly salary. 
if they wrote a couple episodes, they would get that money, plus they would get residuals. Well, now, you know, it's not uncommon for a season to be eight to 10 episodes and not have rewrite reruns. You know, there's no primetime reruns anymore. So the money that you used to make to make a living, that money's gone. And yet the studios and the networks, they're making plenty of funds. And the question is, you know, can we make this more equitable? And the answer is, yeah, we can. But, you know, is greed going to allow us? Right. And I think ultimately, you know, one of the other things, and this is another, this is another difficult subject, is that there's now all this AI that's coming oh, up where man. they're talking about, you know, we can, we can just plug in a, an idea and an AI will write a script for us and we can just shoot that. There's no writer. We can do that. I think that would be a disaster. No, no, what do they call it? Chat GPT? Is that it? Chat GPT. Huh? So, so like if, if that starts writing shows, mm -hmm. is Chat GPT going to get its name over the title or under the title? <laughs> I don't know how they're going to do that. I, wow. you know, they'll have Can to Chat GPT someone. direct also? Can it be an auteur? Hmm. You know what? I don't know about that, but I bet it could edit. Yeah, man. that that's another whole whole another argument, and that's one of the other things that there you know the writers guild is looking for protection from artificial intelligence. How do you how do you stop the the studio from saying we can replace you with a bot? You know. Wow, I wonder if it's hard to believe they could be good writers. Those artificial, you know, it's things. it's the the demonstrations I've seen have been frightening enough to where I don't want to find out because I, you can say to a, one of these chat bots, you can say, um, you know, write a short story in the style of Ernest Hemingway. And, and it'll, it'll do it. Style, it'll write in the style of Ernest Hemingway. And you read it and go, wow, that really does sound like Ernest Hemingway. So, you know, if it can do that, wow. it, you know, oh, but that's scary. between that and the deep fakes, the, you know, the idea, you know, that you could say, you know, I want to, I want Humphrey Bogart to star in this film and I can take his image and I can get it to, you know, speak in his voice and, you know, have an actor off camera in a motion capture suit and it's Humphrey Bogart. You know, there has to be some way of, of first of all, defining who and, and, you know, how that works with the actors that we have. And also, yeah. you know, how do you, and particularly on the political spectrum, how do you stop someone from doing a deep fake of someone that then gets out into the ether and, and suddenly you've got, you know, some political figure doing something heinous that they never did. And how do you right. prove it? How do you, you know, yeah. how do you stop that from being a thing? And right now that's, that's a scary question out there. I think so. I think yeah. technology has gone a little one step too far at yeah. least. Um, you know, when I first moved to LA, got into the Writers Guild, and I had never earned more than like six thousand dollars in my life, and I yeah. got a blind script deal with a studio that used to exist called Lorimar. Sure. And I was going to get the first big check of my life, and then the writers went on strike, <laughs> and I spent the next six months picketing <laughs> until I finally got that check. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad I'm not in L.A. now because yeah. I have sort of aged out of the Writers Guild. I haven't had work in so long yeah. that I'm no longer in it. Yeah. So if I was in L.A. now, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to go pick it. 
I mean, when right. you're so unemployed that you can't even go on strike, that's, that's not good. Yeah, that's, that's a hard good. one. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm avoiding that here. Um, but it is, you know, it is a sad thing that I'd say what every two or three times that the the guild deal is up, there there's a strike. Yeah, and you know, it it is a it is a difficult industry right now in that there is you know so much competition for eyeballs because it you know when you and i were coming up there were three maybe four networks right there was maybe hbo was you know and maybe showtime maybe you know there were six different places where tv and you know was was disseminated and the rest of it was all theatrical and the networks and the studios, they had pretty much a lock on that. Now there's hundreds of streamers and, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens. And how do, how do you get their, the eyeballs onto your projects? Which is why people like, you know, at Amazon, they're doing Lord of the Rings. And, you know, at Disney, they're doing, they bought, you know, the Star Wars franchise and they're doing Star mm-hmm. Wars. They're doing Marvel. And then you've got, you know, uh, You've got a Netflix that spent $250 million on Knives Out to do two sequels. You know, it's, it's an extraordinary thing, but they're throwing a lot of money at the very top and very, very little at the very bottom. And it's tough as it can be to get eyeballs to come to you. You have to have something mm-hmm. unique. You have to have something that's dynamic. You have to have something that's different. Um, I do a, mm. I do a, uh, once in a while I do a, an analysis with a group called Storyboard. Um, they're a, a networking group for, for writers and they take, usually take films that have not yet been, uh, put out and look at the scripts and analyze them and, and try to, you know, predict how they're going to do in the marketplace. And they had a, a script last night that, uh, I was the moderator on. And it's called Bo is Afraid. And it's very interesting. I love the script. It was uh, Ari Astor who did uh, Hereditary. And, but also very, very odd, very, very kind of deranged and odd story. And fantastic. It got a theatrical release and had, uh, it's out now. I don't think it's going to do very well. It's a very niche audience. It's very kind of contained, uh, you know, a very, a very narrow bandwidth for who's going to enjoy this film because it's challenging and it's unique, but you have to have that kind of thing to poke through the noise. And I think we're going to see a lot of really artistic endeavors are going to rise to the top where, you know, they, they wouldn't have before. Well, is there an audience now? Do you remember? Do you remember when Sex Lies and Videotape came out? Yep. And it would go into like the landmark theaters or independent yep. theaters, and there was an audience for it. Yeah. There were people who went out, young people to old people, really, mm-hmm. uh, all mm-hmm. age ranges would have an interest in seeing indie films and go to yeah. certain theaters that would be more likely to accommodate indie films. I don't know if that exists today. Does it? That it audience? Does. Yeah, it does, but it's, it's smaller now and it's smaller because those people have the choice of saying, well, I can watch it on Netflix or I can see it. And, right. and it's no longer on a 20 inch, you know, 
television right. with rabbit ears. It's on a 75 inch screen with surround sound and, you know, right. a magnificent picture. And, you know, there's, we're, our home entertainment is becoming more a, a, a destination than it used to be. That yeah. used to be when you couldn't get out to the theater or you wanted to relax after work. Now that's like, you know, we go sit down and we're all going to hang out. We're going to watch, you know, we're going to, we're going to, uh, binge watch this series or we're going to watch this great film and you don't as much miss the spectacle of having something in a big screen and a big theater because it's there. And yeah. that's one of the other problems is, you know, the choice that we have where we, I think people tend to be uh, a, a social group. You know, I think we want that interaction with other people generally. Right. And I think right. that's one of the things that keeps and will continue to keep theaters open, you know, the idea, but, but when you listen to the movies that are and see the movies that are making really big money, they're, they're epic, you know, action stories that, that people want to share on a big screen because it's bigger than life. It's, you know, it, again, it's the Marvel movies. It's the, mm -hmm. you know, the big Disney animated films. It's, uh, you know, it's those, those are the properties that people are going to the theater still to see, um, to a lesser extent, the horror genre, <clears throat> which has always been kind of a, the cornerstone of, you know, the lowest entry into the industry in terms of independence and the highest return. And that's still the case. And people, again, there's something communal about being scared in the dark with people right? as opposed to being by yourself. There's also something communal to laughing at a comedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you, you watch a really witty comedy and you're home alone. No, but there is some the reason that, that comedies are, are also a little more difficult than they used to be in terms of the theatrical releases, because there are now so much, so much offerings, you know, on every channel now, but um, a lot of the, for some reason, I don't know exactly what this is. A lot of the, the streamers are not all that keen to do a lot of horror. So right now, horror is having a resurgence in the theaters. So it's doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to tell us anything about your projects uh, coming sure. up? Yeah, I'm working on quite a few different projects. Um, I'm also, I'm, I'm a member of the, the Producers Guild of America and the Writers Guild uh, with my producing duties, I've got a couple of projects that I'm helping to set up. I, um, one of my, my other duties is I teach, uh, screenwriting at Boston university, but I also teach film finance there. And so that's I've Boston helping... university in LA. In LA. Yes. Yeah. So don't, don't go in Boston looking for me. I won't be there. No. I'm, I'm over here in LA, but, um, you know, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm trying to help a few different projects find financing. Uh, working with different, you know, funding sources, uh, including my own. And I have one film that I'm working on right now called Before Moonrise that I'm I'm really excited about. Jason Alexander, mutual friend of ours, is is attached to be in the film. Um, and it's a it's a very small budget. Uh, I guess you could call it a micro budget film, but I think it's a, a very different take on the werewolf mythology. And I'm, I'm excited to get behind the camera and direct it. Uh, it's from a script that I wrote. And uh, that's Are you coming out for or against werewolves? Uh, I'm for, absolutely for. Okay. All no, right. it, 
it's it's more psychological thriller than it is horror this particular script and it's more of a uh you know i don't know if you remember the old commercial is you know does she or doesn't she only or hairdresser knows for sure it's kind of that is is this kid really a werewolf or isn't he a werewolf and uh, it's an examination of that and what are the psychological ramifications of someone who thinks they're a werewolf what, what would cause that and, and i'm guessing jason doesn't play the werewolf uh he is the psychiatrist okay there you go who is analyzing werewolf, deciding whether or not he's insane or or a werewolf okay yeah. So if you if you like that idea, keep in touch. <laughs> the theater near you. And did you write the script? I wrote the screenplay. Yeah, okay. I did. And well, good luck with that, and thank, thank you, so you for thank you for joining us today. Um, thank you. Stay vegan. I shall try to try to bring a few more along, as I, you say. My brother, that's one down. That's one. <laughs> we, we keep working uh, on. It. It's getting close to midnight, as you say. Yeah, it really well, is. Well, thank you again, Brian, and um, we will see you soon. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye.